This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Collective Cafe To Go. This is the podcast version of the Collective Cafe. Now, the Collective Cafe happens every single weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in Alpha Collective's Discord server, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. It is free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. If you like to listen live and even participate, come onto stage, comment in our back chat, you can do that. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wednesday, we have guests take the stage, almost like an open mic. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption. So give us a subscribe if you're listening on the podcast or come and attend one day. Remember, it is a safe, welcoming space and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe to go. Well, good morning, everybody. I am trying to, as always... Walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, We are live in Twitter. We are live in Discord. And as I will always say in these moments, what could go wrong? Good morning to Suraj and Shadows, uh, Shadow, uh, Shadows Pub and uh, Bez and Praxim and Jonathan and Rini. Um, I'm excited that you are sharing, splitting your time between Discord and Twitter, and we will try and figure out how to make this work. We are recording this. It is available as a podcast, bit.ly forward slash Collective Cafe to go, getting some hearts on Twitter at the moment. Um, I also managed to this time pin two tweets. One is to register for actually this week's Alpha Beta Talk, uh, which will be on Wednesday, and uh, good morning, Jensa. And 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 uh, a reminder that our home is discord.gg forward slash alpha collective, and we have people between the two today. So I thought that I would chat to you a little bit about community today. And you know, we keep hearing the word buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Um, and for sure. Uh, Bez tells me I'm muted on Twitter, but I'm imagining I'm not anymore because it says Mike is on. So I'm assuming we are good on Twitter. Is that correct, Mr. Bez? Uh, give me a heart if you can hear me on Twitter. And uh, so I'd like trying to figure out how to do this at the same time. Uh, so I don't see a heart, which maybe means I'm still muted. So maybe I should. Siraj, so give me a heart if you can hear me on Twitter. Oh, got got the thumbs up. All right. Uh, Tim is here as well. Praxim and Tim, our two, uh, our two silver-haired. I don't know if Praxim's got silver hair, uh, but they they fought Twitter, and they won. So this is the last week we'll be on Twitter, uh, first and last week. Uh, we will be on Twitter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we will be somewhere else next week. I wonder where we'll be next week. You'll have to just wait and see. And I'm sure Praxim and Tim will have a problem with where we are next week too. Some people are just never satisfied. I'm just kidding. Um, so good morning, Kwai G, uh, Mr. Chris. And uh, so we're going to talk about community. And I think um, 
I think one of the most important things to do, and by the way, if you are on Twitter, please share the room. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, <clears throat> and uh, even if you're listening on Discord, tweet about it. Just get people in. It would be amazing. I think every day we've met someone new, um, and that's great. Um, in in Suraj's case, he's stuck around, which is even better. Um, so, um, you know, community is is a buzzword, um, and it is a cliche, and it is overused, and it is also underused, <laughs> and underappreciated, and underutilized. Um, Mark Schaefer quotes his book a lot, "Belonging to the Brand: Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy." I believe it. Uh, in life after the 30-second spot in my first book, which I wrote in 2004, I said the future of business is community. So I think we all get it. I think we all believe it. I think intellectually, conceptually, strategically maybe, but practically it's a lot harder to implement if you're a big company. It's quite hard. It's really hard because it's not a campaign. Uh, Another Quote of mine, and I'm quoting myself, which is dangerously narcissistic, uh, but marketing is not a campaign, it's a commitment. Uh, Relationships are commitments. Lifetime value of the customer is a commitment. So how on earth can a company deliver on that when they're in short-termitis or short-term hell, quarterly earnings, tenure issues, you know, marketing executives for the most part can't keep their jobs. Most of you know all of this. Um, But the reality is, is that you can't really talk community, can you? But what about in the, you know, in the NFT space? So in in the NFT space, there's a lot of talk about community. um, But how do we know if it's real? How do we know um, that there really is a community going? Um, You know, it's the same thing like there are, there are metrics, but how do we know the metrics are real? For example, um, just, Let's look at uh, let's look at at Web One and Web Two hits, views on YouTube, Web Two fans, friends, followers, uh, engagement, etc. Um, most of it, not most of it, but it can easily and often is bought. And but how do you know? There are ways to tell, obviously, if it has been bought along the way. Um, but it, even that's not necessarily a gimme, right? For example, if someone has, uh, if someone has a million followers and they get one like, um, that kind of seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Um, but the fact is that metrics are not always um, telling you the full story. Um, and you know, when when it comes to understanding, you know, I, I kind of, um, you know, I wrote. I wrote, well, we discussed this last week, actually, um, and, and I've written about it too. And, um, and the reality is, is that, you know, the analogy I'm going to use is the idea of the parking lot. You're driving, you know, along Post Road or, or, or a, a road in a town, let's say, um, and you see two restaurants on the one side of the road. The one restaurant is, the parking lot is completely empty and the other one is completely full. Which one do you go to? The reality is nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, people are going to go to the one with the full parking lot. So you're going to go to the full parking lot. Um, You're going to struggle to find parking. You're going to walk into the restaurant. There's going to be a 25 to 30 minute wait. Eventually, you're going to sit down at the table. Service is going to be slow because they're full. Um, maybe they're not well-staffed or, or, or maybe they are and service is fine, but it's still, you know, the kitchen is full. Um, and there's no guarantee that the food is going to be good or the service for that matter. Um, but you've gone there because there's been a very, you know, clear sign or proxy or something that we identify with, which is popularity. Popularity above substance, right? Style above substance. On the other side of the road, you have this empty restaurant. You you kind of look to, the first thing you probably do is to say, is, is it even open? You see there are lights on, some people inside. You probably don't go in because you probably think there's something wrong with the restaurant. Well, why is no one else going there? 
there must be something wrong with that restaurant. Maybe there was an issue in the past. Maybe, or I don't know, maybe you don't even get that far as to wonder why it's empty. You just choose to go to where the rest of the people are. You are a follower. Uh, You are in part a lemming. But for the most part, you're just human. It's, it's instinct, it's human nature, it's what we all do. And, and just like I said, and I challenged everyone to go into a small room, um, I did it again yesterday, I'm like just hanging out in these tiny little rooms, um, waiting and, and hoping uh, for, for the, the, the lightning in a bottle, the, the substance, uh, not just the style, the real quality conversation. You can't just... You can't just choose the room based on how many people are in it. You have to look at the title. You have to look at some of the people. You still have to make some kind of uh, discernment or or um, structured decision or even just at least there's got to be some method to the madness. But ultimately, um, I'm trying to get into a position where I you know, change my outlook, where I go into the the restaurant with the empty uh, parking lot. Why? Um, so many reasons. Maybe there's, maybe again, let's create the narrative. The owner um, is hungry, uh, figuratively, you know, trying desperately to get his or her uh, business off the ground. They're going to, the owner is going to wait on your table. They're going to, um, Going above, be above and beyond. They're going to give you all the attention. They're going to give you something free. They're going to, they're going to surprise and delight you. Uh, the owner is going to do everything in their power um, to make you feel special. Um, and who knows? Maybe the next week, and the next week, and the next week, you keep coming back. You become a regular. You become an OG. Um, the owner knows you by name. Um, you get your favorite table, you get treated like royalty. But there's another element to it as well, which is you're the first car in the parking lot. Now somebody comes down the road and they see the full parking lot on the right and they see one car in the parking lot. They probably go to the full parking lot, but maybe, just maybe, they, they move over to the left. Maybe they go into the full restaurant and the wait is 45 minutes, and they're like, to hell with that. I don't have 45 minutes. I'm going to go to that empty restaurant uh, across the street. Um, probably my expectation is low because there's only one car in the parking lot. But now there are two cars in the parking lot. And then the next car that comes down the road, maybe the same thing happens. They go into the full parking lot, the full restaurant. It's 45-minute wait, or they have a bad experience, and now there are three cars. And before you know it, the parking lot maybe isn't full, but is starting to fill up. And what you realize is in you deciding to go into that empty room in that empty parking lot, you, my friends, are a leader. And now other people are following you. Somebody has to make the first move. Somebody has to go first. It's just the way it works. There always has to be an alpha, right, as opposed to an omega, there always has to be a first person, a first moment, a first step. Why not be you? So that's how I think we should be thinking about metrics. That's how I think we should be thinking about supporting, um, you know, underdogs or challengers. And that's why I use the analogy of, um, of the two parking lots or the two restaurants. The other thing is it's always important um, to understand a story. And, and the reality is, in our mind, um, we always create a story. And one of the best things we can always do, I actually just read this this morning, I think on Instagram, I think it was, uh, I think it was Lewis Howes, and he basically said, you know, that car that's driving slowly, um, always dream up a story, and let that story be the kindest, you know, most generous story that you can imagine. For example, the car is driving slowly because there's a birthday cake in it um, and the person driving it is taking it for their child that's had a tough year um, and, you know, saved up money um, to be able to buy this beautiful, you know, whatever the case may be, if you can create enough empathy and enough 
um, um, you know, romance in that story, suddenly you're not going to honk and road rage, uh, road rage and, you know, try and force them off the road, whatever, because there's a reason why they're driving slowly. There's a reason why the parking lot is empty, just like there's a reason why the parking lot is full. So that's a little bit of a context setter. Um, we're talking about community. And, um, you know, I think that there are metrics. We're talking about some metrics are not always what they seem, um, and some are exactly what they seem. So how can we tell a community? I see, you know, Billy is wearing his lazy lion. I wear my doodle. Um, how, do we, how do we know if a community um, online or a community in Web3 is healthy or not? How do we know if it's a real community or not? Well, um, just like you can buy friends and fans and followers, it doesn't necessarily mean everything to be able to say that the, the, the collection is sold out. There are many ways to sell out. Um, some are legit and some are not legit. Um, but for the most part, I think it's safe to say that if you see a community that is sold out, that is minted out, um, that's a pretty good sign. That is a pretty good sign. But you've got to dig just a little bit deeper. And one of the, I think, key metrics, and I've been studying this for a while, is unique holders. I think that's critical. So if you look at Lazy Lions or Cool Cats or Crypto Punks or Doodles or Board Ape Yacht Club or... If you look at you know the the the, the one that's the um, the only one that doesn't fit this like a glove is uh, D Gods, um, and I was looking at them as well, um, and they still fit, but they're what I would say dangerously close to what I would call the red flag or the uh, the red line. So what's the number that you generally want or, or you generally see? And the number is what I've seen is round about like it's in the fifties, it's in the high. 50s. It's 55, 56, 57, 58, somewhere in that range. Uh, 58% of the holders are unique holders, right? What's the red flag for me? Um, you know, being a little, this, I think this might be a bit generous, but for me, it's 20%. I actually think it could be a little bit lower, um, but let's go with, with, with 20. Um, so, that means that if less than 20% of the holders are unique, it's not actually a real community. It's not actually a healthy project. There's more going on. It might be healthy, but there's more going on. You have to dig a little bit deeper. 20% of the holders are unique. Look, if you do the math, you can pretty much work out how much each one has on average. But let's talk about that. So what does that number look like? So we have some interesting metrics now on OpenSea and Magic Eden. And so I looked again at, at that distribution. Look, there are some massive red flags, which is if you see one person or two people or three people that hold like thousands, I mean, that's clearly just not okay. Um, there's something going on. There's a story. Maybe it's a good story, by the way. Maybe it's a legitimate story, but there is a story, and that story should be communicated, um, translated. Um, it should be completely. Um, it should be completely transparent. I should say. Good morning, Laura. It should be transparent. Why does one person in an NFT collection hold thousands of NFTs in their collection? What's going on? As I said, the story may be completely, completely credible, believable, authentic, and maybe we do, we do um, just like the story of the birthday cake in, you know, in the, um, you know, in the car, in the slow-moving car, we should uh, err on the side of giving that founder the benefit of the doubt. Um, there's something going on. What's the story? It could be great. It could be a turnaround story. It could be a pivot. It could be, um, you know, uh, these NFTs are going to be donated, um, etc. Um, so I think we can do. A, we can just zoom out slightly and maybe look at um, the percent of holders that hold three or less. 
So I looked at that. Um, Magic Eden only has five or less. OpenSea has three or less. So I'm going to go with three or less. And that number, that metric, um, is basically in the 90s. So that's a very interesting that's a very interesting number. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and you know prove that I can in fact walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, and I'm going to go and find my tweet um, that actually mentions these these numbers. Um, and here it is. And I'm going to go ahead and just share that and pin it up top. Um, so I basically said um, um, I actually. I actually reduced it. I reduced it to 80. I said percent of holders with three or less tokens each, uh, each less than 80%. Is that even English? Um, so percent of unique holders uh, less than 20%. That's a red flag. And if you actually have, um, if I'm sorry, uh, I realize what I did now. If you have more than 80% um, of the community, that have that three or less, that is healthy. So less than 80% is a red flag. So does that make sense? I kind of muddled myself slightly. So what we're basically doing is we're actually saying um, a healthy collection needs to have a better distribution of unique holders and within those unique holders, the, the number of tokens needs to be healthy as well. And so your benchmarks are less than 20% unique holders, red flag, right? And less than 80% of holders with three or less is a red flag. So in some cases, and I went and looked at, again, at the doodles and the, and the, D-go- um, the, the doodles, not the D-gods, the doodles and the cool cats and the bored apes, etc. And those numbers were in the 90s. So more than 90% of holders had three or less. So to me, that actually tells you a simple story. What is the story? What is the narrative? The narrative is very simple. The narrative says that there are no hoarders. There's no unequal distribution. There is no disproportionate distribution. You don't have a small percentage of holders that hold a disproportionate amount of NFTs for whatever reason. For whatever reason. The reasons could be legitimate. The reasons could be illegitimate. For example, maybe they just got there early enough and they benefited from it. Maybe. Uh, maybe there was a mistake with the, with the smart contract or there wasn't a cap on that smart contract. And so people were able to mint hundreds, thousands whatever, well, maybe not thousands, but certainly hundreds, maybe a few thousand, um, and they were able to do that. Maybe there was a free mint. There are many reasons why you could have that unequal distribution, but ultimately, if you're trying to create, you know, what I would say to community founders is, how many people do you want in your community? Like, how many people, how many humans do you want in your community? What determines health and healthy? You know, what we've done, Rini and I have been sitting and talking and Jonathan and we've been talking about Alpha Collective and, you know, and our original promise, our original commitment, my original commitment was a thousand paid members. So we're sticking to that, a thousand paid members. But we may actually end up with more than a thousand. That's a good problem to have. Why? Because we have a Freemint, which has limited access um, we have Alpha Talk speakers, so we could end up with fifteen hundred or two thousand or twenty five hundred. Um, that's not a bad thing when you've got a larger community. If larger is better, so we think about this all the time. For example, does it matter if you you know if you want to hear? I'm going to make it up. Well, Bruce Turkel is giving his Alpha Beta talk on Wednesday. Bruce is a world-renowned, he'll probably be a Hall of Fame um, speaker. Um, He has written several books, and he's going to deliver his Alpha Beta talk on Wednesday. Do you care if you're the only person watching him, or whether there are 100,000 people watching him at the same time? You probably do because of 
the full parking lot versus the empty parking lot. But the content is the same. If anything, it's almost like, you know, I'll give you a different example. What would you prefer? I mean, in fact, now I'll kind of throw it on its head. Would you prefer to be at MetLife Stadium watching Taylor Swift as she just performed or, you know, or uh, Ed Sheeran as he just performed or Coldplay as they have performed and you're in the nosebleed seats right at the back or how about being in a small room, maybe someone's living room um, in, in, in a home and Coldplay are playing unplugged and it's an audience with 15 or 20 people. Well, it's very different then, isn't it? If we change our perspective, if suddenly intimacy and access are priorities, intimacy meaning, wow, I feel so special, I'm in this room with just, and there's just a small group of people that, that have uh, access or are exposed to this, and the meet and greet, I can get to actually hang out with them and not be at the back of the, the bus or at the back of the room, well, suddenly you've changed your perspective, very much so. So we think about that, which is people are going to, when does it make sense to be in a room with a lot of people? Well, at a networking event, for sure. So networking events need to be filled up. So, you know, different use cases and different utility will have different metrics and different measures of success. So in many cases, it's important to certainly segment It's important to think of both. It's not an either-or. Quality and quantity of member is absolutely key. But you need a certain amount of members. There has to be sufficiency by hook or by crook, hopefully by hook and hopefully not by crook. You need a certain number of people in the room. There has to be a minimum viable member. (laughs) Maybe I will call this episode, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let me make a note. Uh, I'm sure Jonathan will remember this. Minimum Viable Member. That's the name of today. Minimum Viable Member. MVM. You need a certain... Minimum. I think I spelled it wrong. You need a certain number of people in your community, in the room, to make it viable. But do you need a maximum? Probably not. In fact, there is, I'm sure, a point of diminishing margins or diminishing utility as well. You also don't want the same people in the room all the time. I mean, you can, but that's not community. That's just, uh, you know, (laughs) a gathering of sorts. It's a bunch of, you know, I mean, I love everyone here, but it's important for us to mix it up. Why? Because we have goals, whether they're growth, whether it's monetization, or how about just perspective, bringing in different voices, different perspectives. It's absolutely important and critical. So you need a minimum number of members. They can't be the same members. You need to make sure that you don't have a disproportionate amount of holders. Most tokens in the hands, you know, many in the hands of few. There are always exceptions. I welcome pushback and thoughts and and comments and questions today. Um, I'll make sure that there's time to come up or put something in the chat and answer them. Um, and you know, and it's important to actually make sure that you have a healthy distribution. And I think when you get all of that together, you actually realize um, that there are some key metrics. It's not a one size fits all. But you know, for example, I think, um, and I was saying this earlier that. That if the found, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give myself as an example. The, the free mint, there were 2,000 um, 2, uh, tokens that were essentially set aside. 1,000 have already been minted. So in what we would have called the public free mint, 1,000 of them were minted legitimately. You know, I've absolutely, there's no question, Ryan Carson to thank. You know, because when Daily Dose was was absolutely rocking, he was on the show, he tweeted it out. The next thing we had hundreds, if not a thousand people watching live. They all started minting um, and the rest was history. And I think we did about 700 in under an hour. Um, 
I've still got a thousand. So if someone was now looking at those numbers, they'd be, wait a second, why does Jaffe have a thousand of his two thousand? Well, if somebody asked me, I should be able to give them an answer. My answer at the time is as follows or was as follows. What I was going to do is give at least one free mint to every paying member so that they could give it away, pay it forward, give it to someone who might not have been able to afford coming in. Or they could choose to just flip it and hoard it and do whatever they want. I can't tell them what to do, but I can tell them what the intention was. But now with a thousand, I'm absolutely going, I'm not keeping them. I'm not selling them. I'm not trying to monetize them for myself. I will make sure that they get in the hands of the right people. So there's no, you know, just the, the ability to, you know, almost like have a, it should be posted, it should be pinned. You know, anyone who's anyone knows that there's always a story. And that story should be shared. That story um, should, be, um, should be pinned. That story should be communicated. So I also went, you know, just because I like to do this, I went uh, to ChatGPT uh, and I actually asked the question as well. You know, I said basically kind of like what determines, um, you know, a healthy, um, uh, it was actually amazing the answer. So I asked, I asked it a few ways. I said, um, while each Web3 community may have its unique characteristics, there are a few signs that can indicate a community might not be genuine or aligned with the principles of Web3. Uh, here are some common signs to watch out for. Oh, sorry, that's the response. Because my, my prompt was, what are some of the signs that a Web3 community is not the real deal? So the first is lack of transparency. A genuine Web3 community values transparency and openness. If a community is secretive about its operations, decision-making processes, or token distribution, it may be a red flag. Look for communities that actively share information, engage in open discussions, and provide clear insights into their projects. Number two, centralized control. Web3 communities are built on decentralization and distributed governance. If a community is heavily centralized with decision-making power concentrated in the hands of a few individuals or entities, it goes against the principles of Web3. Look for communities that emphasize decentralized decision-making, token holder voting, and community governance models. Number three, lack of community engagement. Authentic Web3 communities thrive on active participation and collaboration. If a community shows minimal engagement with little interaction between members or lack of community-driven initiatives, it may indicate a lack of genuine interest or commitment. Look for communities where members actively contribute, ask questions, share ideas, and collaborate on projects. Four, misaligned incentives. In a genuine Web3 community, the incentives are aligned between the community members, project founders, and, sh and stakeholders. If a community seems primarily focused on enriching a select few without considering the benefits and interests of the broader community, it may be a warning sign. Look for communities that prioritize fair token distribution, reward community contributions, and align incentives for long-term sustainability. And five, finally, uh, lack of utility or purpose. Web3 communities often revolve around projects or platforms with a clear purpose or utility. If a community lacks a clear use case, real-world application, or fails to deliver on its promises, it may indicate a lack of substance. Look for communities that have tangible goals, demonstrate progress toward their objectives and value, and provide value to their users and participants. Remember that these signs are not definitive proof, but rather indicators to consider when assessing the authenticity and alignment of a Web3 community. It's important to research and evaluate each community individually and use your judgment before participating or investing your time and resources. I think that's pretty flippin' amazing. Um, I'm actually like quite stunned by that response. I think it's a great response. I think we could probably add uh, a few things to it. Um, I would say, if I was, I would talk about, um, number one, I would talk about um, constant change of direction and roadmap. 
um, without input and feedback from the community. So that would be number six, I think. Um, so a kind of a inconsistent um, roadmap execution um, and or um, direction. Um, I think you could look at it two ways. You know, one is the constant flip-flopping or inconsistency or, uh, or, or change. It's pretty jarring um, and it's difficult if you are a member of the community to like commit to a, a purpose, a vision, um, a path, a roadmap, and then to have it keep on um, ch- being changed upon you. Um, I think that would be one. And I, I guess maybe if I was coming up with a seventh, um, it might be, um, and I, well, I don't know, because I think one of them spoke about incentives, misaligned incentives. Um, I, I, I want to keep that in there because I actually think that um, misaligned incentives is, it, it's, it's um, um, I don't know if I want to say management of expectations, but I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you like in English what I mean, and then we can kind of like see if we can wordsmith it. Um, this is mainly for you, Jonathan, as well, to think about these six or seven points. And maybe we even asked, um, uh, we go back to ChatGPT and see if there are others. But here's what I mean. What I mean is, so I'll use myself as an example again. Um, I've told people that when considering Alpha Collective, um, to consider buying two, um, especially at one ETH. Why? Um, One to keep, you know, is your forever token, your soulbound token, if you will and one to be able to use discretionary. Why? Because I've been a collector for two years, and I understand. I have one doodle right now. At the moment, doodle's about, let's call it two ETH. I bought it 3.7, which I thought was a good deal based on where doodles had been. Um, At the moment, I've got nothing, you know, I've I've got nothing to lose because it's way below. But if it isn't, if it moves to four or five or six or seven ETH, you know, and or ETH increases to three, four, five thousand, and suddenly I'm like, whoa, wait a second. I bought it at 3.7. ETH was, you know, whatever the case may be, let's call it 1,500. I spent, phew, I'm like feeling a bit sick now thinking, let's just say I spent $6,000 on it. And now it's $18,000. Well, now it's now I don't know what to do. Now I legitimately could could there's twelve thousand dollars on the table. What do I do? What do I do? Do I take the money and run, or do I say, "Hey, listen, I bought this for a reason. I bought it to be a part of community, and I'm not going to be distracted by the bright and shiny uh, coin." <laughs> In this case, the object is a coin, the money. Um. I don't like that. I don't think that that's a. I, I I find that to be a really difficult position to be put in. The question is whether I put myself in that in that position or not. So my feeling is, you want to buy two, if you can afford it, one to keep and never to compromise, and one to sell. Now the reality is is that that can change too. I mean, you could buy um, a token a membership pass for Alpha Collective at one ETH. And the next thing you know, it's five ETH. And you sell it, the second one, because, hell, I just 5X'd. And now it's 10X. And now it's 10 ETH. Well, now you've, uh, you know, you've got a problem. Um, now um, you've got a problem because now it's the same thing. Now you're thinking, well, maybe I should have bought three, but uh, you know that's not a way to that's not a way to live. It's not a way to think. It's not a way to conceive. You gotta at least. I feel like the buy two is is a better way to think about it. You know, at the beginning of this whole journey, Fanzo had a three by three by three. Um, it made sense to me. It didn't really. It worked at the time, I should say. Right, the idea was you buy three. You know, from a whitelist or pre, you know, like, for, for, yeah, from a whitelist, right? Then what happens is the price goes up a little bit um, because, 
you know, what you wanted because, you know, some people didn't get it in the, in the whitelist. Um, and um, so there's a bit of an arbitrage or maybe it sells out in the, in the pre, but it's still pre-reveal. And so what Fanzo was saying is now you sell it, pre, you sell one of them pre-reveal, right? And, and you take advantage of the anticipation. But then typically what happens is the reveal comes and the price drops um, because people are disappointed in what they got or they didn't get the rare. Um, and so it dips, but maybe you're, you have one that is relatively rare and you can maybe, or you wait for it to increase a bit and you sell that and you keep the, th- but that was his point, right? His point was you have a strategy, a pre-reveal, a post-reveal, and then at some point one that you want to keep. Um, so the seventh one for me is this idea of aligned incentives. Um, why are we here? What is our goal? Let's not, let's not, you know, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. You've got to be clear and upfront about that, about why we're here. Um, we all want soulbound. We all want everyone to be there forever. But that is not a necessary ending. And it's not... And it's, and it's not realistic um, because, and I'll put it back to the founder, how does the founder make money? How does the founder make money? If the founder's uh, role is to raise money in the form of selling NFTs, which is the initial raise, how do they make money thereafter? When we talk about aligned incentives, point number seven, that must include the founder too and the founder's team. It has to include them. We're very self-entitled as humans, as consumers, as readers, as listeners, as members. We are self-entitled. We don't like paying for stuff. We like stuff for free. It's just a fact. It's a fact that we uh, enjoy the freebies. We enjoy the free content. We don't like to spend uh, $4 or $8 or $9 to, you know, subscribe, I don't know how much it is, to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or some of the best premium sources of content out there. Instead, we just look for the free content or we find hacks or, you know, or, uh, or the ability to kind of bypass paywalls. We just legitimately don't like paying. Um, but the model is changing through NFTs, um, through, I mean, just look at streaming. Just look at what's going on with with all, you know, whether it's Paramount or Peacock or Disney or ESPN uh, or Max, you know, the new HBO. Uh, people are paying now for content on a subscription basis. So that's good news for founders it's good news for owners. Um, it's not as good news for consumers because everybody wants to charge us now. So there must be an alignment of and a management of expectations, I feel. And that's maybe point seven. And so ultimately when you zoom out and you say, well, when is community not community? Well, when it's a mastermind, when it's you know a, th- a think tank, when it's uh, imbalanced, um, when there are not enough. I mean, can you have um, can you have a community of twenty people? Uh, probably. I mean, I don't think it's just about size. I don't think it's just about numbers. Um, but I think you have to be very, you know, upfront and above board. I think it's important. Um, to be as transparent as possible. And, you know, in the case of, you know, in the case of, um, um, like, I'll give you an example. Again, let's go back to Alpha Collective. The 52 Alpha Talk speakers and the 13 Alpha Beta speakers are being given a pass. So are they paying members? No. Are they members? Yes. Do you care? Um, You might. I mean, and when I say do you care, what I mean by that is do you care whether they paid or not? Um, Or do you 
care to be told? Do you do you care to know if they're paid or not? Like, is that important to you? And if so, why? For some people it may be, and for some people it may not be. But what you do care about is if, for example, you know, I use him often, Todd Kaplan, the CMO of Pepsi, is a member. Do you care that he paid for his pass or not? What you care about is that you can attend his alpha, alpha talk or that he's hanging out in the Discord or that you meet him at a, at a meetup. So I think it's very important for us just to make sure that the narrative is in fact not a made-up story, not a lie, but the narrative is in fact uh, more, uh, it's, it's, I would say, if the, uh, the bones, the skeleton, the spine of the narrative are your facts, you can put some flesh on it and some clothing on the flesh, and that can be a bit of story. We all buy into story. We all believe in story. But the story can't be a fable. The story can't be a complete fiction. So your narrative becomes a beautiful um, combination of, of fact and fiction, <laughs> but less fiction. Let's call it maybe non-fiction. How about that? Fact and non-fiction, not not complete fiction. So that would be my my kind of takeaway: fact and non-fiction instead of fiction. And now you understand, and now at least you you're like, okay, I get it. The transparency that we need in communities um, is one that doesn't mean I'm going to show you how the sausage is made, but it might mean if you ask, I'll tell you. Well, I won't withhold it from you. Um, If we use the analogy of a kitchen or a restaurant, many restaurants now have open a window where you can see into the kitchen so you can see for the most part um, the food being made or um, it, that kind of transparency makes it feel um, a lot more um, authentic, but also um, there's, there's, um, there's a certain credibility. Um, who knows what the origins were? I mean, maybe worth kind of checking it out, but the origins could have been bad experiences or kitchen nightmares, or it could have just been this idea that this is where the world is heading. Um, but you don't want to actually necessarily sit in the kitchen all the time. You, you might, there is the option of a chef's table, right, behind the scenes. Um, every now and then, it's awesome to be backstage or uh, to be watching from the sidelines. But for the most part, we want to be in the dining room. We want to be up front. We don't always want to see how the sausage is made. But if we ask, we should have an idea. It shouldn't be withheld from us. If we suspect that the way the sausage is being made is not legitimate, again, we should have the ability or the right um, to to be able to supervise or audit, etc. So I guess what I wanted to do today is kind of level set. Um, in many respects, I have to... Um, hold myself to the same standards. Um, I also have to like, you know, as, as we continue to gain momentum um, with, uh, with Alpha Collective, we have to ask ourselves, who, who are we? Who do we want to be when we grow up? Um, can we look at ourselves in the mirror and be proud of who we see? Can we stand, you know, can we stand up, you know, to the test, whatever that test is, a, a test of, Legitimate legitimacy, credibility, authenticity, however you want to look at it. Um, very important to hold yourself uh, to the same standards. Um, but more importantly is to recognize that it is a combination of um, both left brain and right brain proof points. There are data points where, you know, you better have a good reason as to why you have less than 20% of all of your NFTs 
um, are, are in the hands or, you know, uh, your unique holders are less than 20%. So less than 20% of, um, or, and then the other one, of course, right? Which is in the case of that 20%, it actually, I realize now it actually works really nicely. It actually is an 80 20 rule, right? Um, 20% unique holders, 80% uh, percent of them that actually have, uh, or, that have less than, or not of them, of all your holders that have less than three tokens. Three tokens might be a little bit low, right? If you're going with Fanzo's three by three by three, it's legit. If you're going with my two, it's legit. So maybe three is okay. Um, I think it is actually. Four and five seems already a little too speculative, a little bit too indulgent. There's a money-making motive with four or five and certainly more than five no one should have to own four or five tokens of any collection why would you hold five what incentive would there be to hold five there's no incentive to hold five or more because at the end of the day a token is a token theoretically you should only ever hold one token so let me repeat that theoretically all things being equal, ceteris paribus, you should only ever have to hold one token in a collection. If you're a member of Alpha Collective, you should only have one membership pass because there's only one of you. You don't need an entry level and a full. You don't need two fools. Otherwise, there are two fools. <laughs> you don't need two full passes. You choose to have a second pass because you maybe want to sell it. And as I said, I mean, that is the nature of the beast. As long as there is a secondary market, there's going to be that motivation. And quite frankly, you know, it, my wish was to be completely transparent and say to people this, as I said earlier in the session, because I've been a collector, so I know how collectors think. I know how, how people are in the space. And, and you can actually create an ecosystem that supports that, or you can acknowledge. So, for example, um, we've, we, we've seen this with many collections. It happened with like Psychedelics Anonymous and, and other collections that, that there were large installations or parties at NFT NYC. And what would happen is just before these events, the prices would spike because people wanted to attend the event. So if, if I was a holder, but let's say I lived in South Africa and I wasn't going to be able to enjoy um, the Doodles party in Austin or the Psychedelics Anonymous party in um or the board ape yacht club ape fest or whatever um well i would sell i could sell and take advantage of that 10 or 15 or 20 percent bump and take a chance educated that after the event they're going to be back on the market um and and that's okay too. Whether that was created by the founder or it just became a natural kind of byproduct, which I think is more likely the case. There's one final point that I just want to make. Um, so if you were summarizing this, you know, you'd look at the metrics, the 80-20 rule. Let's call it the new, let's call that the new 80-20 rule of communities, of Web3 communities. We discussed the seven conceptual points or the seven, you know, kind of points, which also incorporates some of those data points. Um, the last one is about PFPs. Um, I think we're going to see a major rethink of PFPs. Um, I don't believe um, communities should ever expect their members to wear them. Um, I think that when you wear a PFP, you are expressing yourself. And... And the emphasis is on the word yourself, not your community. We discussed this the other day in Discord. 
that Nitro allows you to change your profile picture based on which community you're in. That is exactly how it should be. But ultimately, your PFP is very personal. And actually, one of the things that it does is it can compromise you in a secondary market. If you're so attached to your PFP, if you're so attached to your avatar, if people know you now based on that avatar, and that avatar is attached to a community, now it becomes really difficult to let go of that. If you were, you know, if you had a board ape yacht, a board, a board ape is obviously the extreme example um, because people have like literally branded themselves, you know, Jenkins, the valet, and whatever the case may be. But if you're attached to a PFP and you're like, this is me, this is my forever, whatever, it's really hard just to sell it to someone for an event and then hope you can buy it back. Um, that's why kind of rentals is a really good path, I think, the ability to rent out your NFT. And we'll, I, think, I think that's a good trend um, to see and to follow. Um, and, you know, that as long as the tech enables that and enforces that, that's a great way to get over that personal, you know, hump or that, um, that, tough, that tough choice. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's key to remember that it's funny. It's a great, this is the great contradiction of communities. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? The community is bigger than any one member in that community, including, including, and maybe especially the founder, right? I'll say that again. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. A community is bigger than any single individual member of that community, including and maybe especially the founder. I went back to chat uh, GPT and I basically looked and I said, um, tell me the biggest communities that are out there and if they are in fact known by um, a leader or a founder or an individual. You know, when you think about, you know, BAYC and CryptoPunks and, um, you know, art blocks, and I was looking at, at them as Decentraland, Top Shot, uh, Pudgy Penguins, Loot, World of Woman, uh, Cool Cats, like going through them, um, actually realizing that in many cases, the community is certainly bigger than an individual. And the individual is less, you know, kind of dominates that conversation. So I think that... Um, I said it was a great contradiction. I didn't finish the point. The point is that if that is true, the whole is greater than some of its parts. But as an individual in that community, you matter. You count. You are an individual. You are a person, a human. You are unique. You are special. And you should never just become another face in the crowd or the same face in the crowd or nondescript or a data point or just another number. You should not be known for your community. For the community, you should be known for you. And that's why I'm a huge fan and believer that ultimately, if personal brand is important to you, if your personality, your individuality is important to you, it is important to make sure that you are in control of your likeness, your avatar, um, the way that people see you, the way that people identify you, um, and, the, and the way that people associate you. So it is 9 a.m. Um, I am going to end the Twitter room now. And we did meet one new person today, so we're still at least... Um, at least uh, registering that mini goal. Um, and uh, we will be back tomorrow on Wellness Wednesday. As I said, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on Twitter, and then next week, I'll maybe announce something later this week, we're going to move somewhere else. Um, but we'll keep on powering this um, through Discord and then simulcasting it. I like this idea. As long as the tech supports us, I know they're like, there was a bit of a lag, etc. Um, I think this is a great way for us to continue to 
to play around and, and figure out what works. Um, today's LinkedIn article will be on the, the drama and the conflict triangle. And then remember, we have our Alpha Beta Talk tomorrow. Please register um, for that Alpha Beta Talk if you haven't already. Um, I will um, paste that into the chat. Um, and then, of course, there is a live, well, live, there's a pre-recording for Jaffe is Not Famous on Thursday, and I can, I'll can i set that up probably today and share that with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.